last week uh, we were looking at uh, the thought of David as a worshiper. And there's one more aspect of worship that I just wanted to touch on this morning. Um, and, and that's the answer to the question, what kind of worship is God looking for? Right? Because we realize we can sing worship and we can worship God, but, but there's a, a certain type of worship that God is looking for. You know, David had a life of worship and the worship that he had in his life pleased God. And so we want to just consider that is that, that our, our worship is pleasing to God. And, and to understand that question, what kind of worship is God looking for? We actually need to look to the New Testament to the answer Jesus gave us. And he gave it in a remarkable conversation to a woman at the well, right? John chapter four. Uh, it really is one of the most interesting and unusual conversations, uh, at least that Jesus had, or even in the in the scriptures. You know, this woman was a Samaritan. She was an unlikely candidate to, uh, you could say, for Jesus to to minister to. She wasn't a Jew, um, but they spoke of such deep and important matters, and and those. That conversation instructs us, and one of the one of the points of that conversation was, "What is true worship? You know, what what is God looking for, and how can we worship Him so that our worship is acceptable?" And so, I want to kind of look at that that question with you this morning, and that perhaps the Lord would speak to us uh, and quicken us in that thought of of worship and the worship, not just of our lips, but of our lives, would be pleasing to Him that we might be true worshipers. And so, you know, Jesus is speaking to uh, this Samaritan woman, and we realize the background is that she's a, a, a people of uh, a mixed heritage, maybe a little bit of mixture um, uh, and, and a mixed religion, right? Because they observed some of the Jewish religion, but yet they mixed it with their own and so forth. They, they actually worshiped using the, the Jewish Torah, but then they mixed in a lot of pagan ideas and rituals, which is almost a picture of today in the sense is that people worship God, but they do it on their that on their own terms and mix in a lot of their own ideas and mindsets and uh, and so forth and the ways of the world. But Jesus wanted to show this woman uh, the truth, and he wanted to give her life. And so instead of uh, drinking from the natural well and the spring that was before her, he offers her living water. And, and the, he says this in John 4, 13. He says, whoever drinks of this water, th- speaking of the well that they're at, um, they're going to get thirsty again. You're going to have to continually drink of that. Verse 14, but whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of springing up, a water springing up into everlasting life. And, and so that's a wonderful picture, a wonderful promise to us as believers. Um, you know, when you think about it, they didn't have this promise in the Old Testament. They didn't have a promise of the Holy Spirit welling up within them as living waters. Now, some of them experienced that. They, they entered into that because of their relationship with God, but it wasn't a promise like, like that promises to us. And so what a great uh, opportunity we have as believers to enter into that promise. We don't want to 
squander that in the opportunity God's give us, given us in our life, a source of life that's within us, that's never, we don't have to go somewhere. We don't have to be, uh, you know, doing a certain thing. It's within us. We can always have that life flowing by looking to, to the, the spirit that Christ has put within us and flowing in that. But the question arises, how do we develop this well of living water within? And Jesus shows us the answer. Uh, and it's in the answer he, he gives to the question that the woman uh, makes. And, and she asks a question about worship because you know the Samaritans had their temple that they worshiped at. The Jews had theirs. Well, we, we know that it was, uh, it was originally the Temple of Solomon, and then that was destroyed, and then it's the Restoration Temple, and, which turned into Herod's Temple there. And so she was saying, well, what holy, what holy mountain is it that we're supposed to worship at? Uh, they worshiped at Mount Gerizim, which is kind of interesting. They had their own temple. They had their own guidelines for worship and so forth. Interesting side note. I read this in, uh, in a commentary. It's actually Josephus tells us that the Samaritans obtained permission to build this temple on Mount Gerizim by Alexander the Great. It's very interesting to think that he had a hand in setting up an alternate, an alternate, alternate form of worship full of mixture different from the true worship that was established in Jerusalem. And so this woman says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain, pointing to Mount Gerizim, but you say we worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus responded, you know not what you worship. <laughs> you, know, you don't know what kind of spirit you're flowing in and so forth. But then he gives us this statement that really transcends this lady, and it applies to us in the New Testament. Going, everyone going forward, because Jesus became the way, the truth, and the life, he could cause us to enter into true worship. And so he gives this, this statement in John 4.23. The hour is coming, and it's even now, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, because the Father seeks such to worship him. And so that, you know, even at this point, the Jews had to travel three times a year and appear in the temple and make the sacrifices and so forth. They had to worship. But Jesus changed all of that because he became the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And not just you know, placating that need for a continual sacrifice for sin, but he opened the way for us to know true worship. We can enter into that, that concept of experiencing true worship with our heavenly father you know we can have that river flowing through us that well bubbling up to life a river of living water but there's two things that he brings out in that that are so key that we want to kind of focus in on there's two things that jesus said defines what is true worship you know to this lady and the first thing he says well with the two things he says where we, ha we have to worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. And so we touched a little bit on that concept last week of worshiping in the spirit, you know, flowing in the Holy Spirit of, you know, we looked at, 
at the thought of singing psalms, you know, making melody, singing in our heart to the Lord. Um, you know, I was just kind of considering that thought of songs and heaven. There are some things in this life that will pass away and we won't see them anymore. I don't think we're going to be driving any cars in heaven. But I'm grateful for that because sometimes driving is frustrating, especially when you live in the city like we do. And people are honking and sometimes you honk and, right? It's not, don't, you don't feel very heavenly, right? There's things that are passing away and we say, good riddance, <laughs> praise God. But there's some things that are heavenly and eternal because we see them in heaven. And you know, one of the things is music, is song. That's, that's heaven. And so when we see and understand that, there's something where we like, Lord, if that's heavenly, I want that to be in my life. I want that to be a part of me. And, and we have to be careful of looking at the natural. It's like, well, I, but I'm not, I, you know, a lot of, you know, you might say, well, I can't carry a tune in a bucket if I tried. But th that's not the point because Paul said we sing and make melody in our heart. That we want to have that heart of worship. And, you know, if we need to pray, Lord, I don't, I don't know how to do that. But the Holy Spirit can show us. The Holy Spirit can guide us to make us worshipers. That we can worship in the Spirit of God and have a flow of His Spirit. Maybe it's just singing along with church songs. You know, we put a lot of the of the songs of our fellowship are, are now on YouTube and you can just play that and you can just sing along with that and get them into your heart so that maybe you're you're having a, a difficult time. Well, maybe that's time to worship in spirit and just say, oh God. Maybe there's a song that really speaks to you. There's a couple of songs that really speak to me and and when I'm in, in trouble, you know, I just sing those, Lord, I need a touch from you right now. <laughs> That's one of the ones I, I sing sometimes to the Lord. You know, and you have that in your spirit and it, it allows you to connect with heaven. And so we need to be those who worship in spirit. And so there's that, that natural thought of, of singing to the Lord and opening our hearts to that. that but, you know, I was also thinking, actually, Sarah kind of shared this nugget with me that if we're worshipers in spirit, there's a concept that we need to have a right spirit. We need to have a right spirit. David said this in Psalm 51 and verse 10, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit. That's, that's kind of a, an interesting thought. He's saying, Lord, when I was in sin, I didn't have a right spirit. There was something about that that was not right, and it kept me from your presence. That's, to me... That kind of puts me in the, the fear of the Lord in that sense. It's like, Lord, I don't want to have something in my heart that would, would give me a wrong spirit to worship you in the sense of keeping us disconnected from heaven, disconnected from the presence of God. And David was absolutely disconnected from the presence of God and under conviction for quite a while because he was hiding that sin. But when he finally confessed to God, he's like, Lord, renew a right spirit within me. Sometimes, you know, the problem with people not feeling the presence of God, well, I don't want to say feelings because it's not about feelings. Sometimes we're, we're perfectly right with God, but we don't necessarily feel his presence like we want to. But, but sometimes people can feel so disconnected from heaven because there's something going on. There's something that 
that needs to be dealt with and corrected and cleansed as David. You know, and, and it could be many things. It could be sin. It could be a wrong desire, wrong motives. Um, you know, like Saul, he just wanted to look good in front of the people and that disconnected him from God because he was just focused on, on something else. But the reality is, is we need to have a right spirit. And the only way that can take place is coming to the Lord and say, oh God, created me a clean heart. I need a fresh cleansing today. Now the, the New King James translates it this way. I thought it was kind of neat. And Psalm 51.10, it says, Renew a steadfast spirit in me. A steadfast spirit. And you know that this is really where we need to worship God in spirit and truth is a steadfast spirit, a spirit that is set in his ways, in doing things his way, in being sensitive to what he wants us to do and, and just following that. The there's something interesting. I was just looking this up in a in a Hebrew lexicon that talks about the ancient Hebrew and the the pic, pictogram letters that they used to use. Um, and and the the root word for this steadfast spirit or right spirit, it's actually a picture of a little seed with a shoot out of it. If I could have, I would have had a picture of it. I thought it was neat. It's a little picture of a little seed with a shoot out of it and then an open palm. And, and the concept is, is that when that little seed, that word of faith comes into our lives, it's cultivated, it, it grows, and then it forms roots, and it becomes a foundation for us as trees of righteousness. We become steadfast in God. But when we don't do that, it's like we get uprooted. It's like David had become uprooted in with God. And he's like, Lord, get me back, root me back in doing what's pleasing to you in your sight. I was just did a quick Google search. And, you know, when a tree gets uprooted, it basically has hours to live. And that's kind of scary in that sense that that's kind of relating. It's like, Lord, don't let me get uprooted. Now, trees can be transplanted, but that's they're carefully tended and they, their root ball is protected and so forth. But yet, there's that thought, David almost became uprooted. And then he came back to God and said, Lord, cleanse me, forgive me, root me back in you. Put a steadfast spirit. Show me anywhere where, my, where there's a root exposed that needs to be grounded back in you. Strong in his ways. And so the worshiping in spirit. And then one, the other part of true worship is we have to worship in truth. You know, worship is goes beyond just lifting our voices to God, but presenting our lives as an offering. Paul said this in, in Romans 12, 1. He said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's the, that's the worship of truth. It's our bodies and it's our lives where we are holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And we do that by verse two, where he says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will. How do we prove it? Through our lives, through being an example of truth. You know, it's like 
Jesus said in, in Matthew 5, 23, how do, we, how do we worship in truth? Well, we don't just go and offer our offerings no matter what. He's like, well, if you want to worship in truth, examine your heart. And if you find there's something in your heart, and in this instance, he says, if you have something with your brother, it's more important to go make that right than to offer your offering because it wouldn't be an offering of truth. And so if we want our lives to be acceptable to the Lord, it's that, that concept of, you know, what am I giving? What am I presenting to God when I'm singing? Is it, is it an offering of truth? And sometimes we, we have to perform that little self-examination. Lord, what is my offering? Lord, is there anything that needs to be corrected so that I'm flowing in truth? In worshiping you. And if we see something concerning, we can cry out to God and say, Lord, just make that right. Align me with your truth. Cause me to love your truth and for your truth to be written on my heart. There's one last thought I wanted to, to look with you at in the concept of true worship. And it was just kind of quickened to me that that idea that true worship has a cost. True worship has a cost, right? To, to follow the truth, to obey the truth, there's, sometimes there's a cost involved. You know, in Psalm 12 and verse 6, it says the word of the Lord is tried seven times. It, it goes through some testings and some trials. You know, and it's the thought that truth is tried. And worshiping in God in truth, worshiping God in truth Sometimes we're tried in that, and it's not always easy to worship him because we're talking beyond just, just singing to him, but yet presenting our lives and presenting him standing in the truth. And to stand in the truth, there can be a cost involved. But it's one of the things that makes our worship so precious unto God is when we have to pay a price to do that. We can understand this thought of, of, of a price, a cost in our worship from David. You know, remember the situation where he had he kind of made another mistake when he counted Israel and and God brought a judgment through a plague upon Israel. And and so God told David to go set up an altar on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite, which would be the future site of the temple. And so Aruna sees David coming to, to build the off altar, and he says to David, um, take, take this land as a gift. It's yours. It's free. It's, it's, an, you know, it's for the Lord and his work of the Lord. Now, in one sense, if someone gives a donation to church, you think, okay, praise God. You know, here's an offering. But li listen to what David said. He replied this in, in 2 Samuel 24 and verse 24. He said, no. But I will surely buy it of you at a price. Neither will I offer a burnt offerings unto the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. And so David bought the threshing floor uh, and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver, which actually I looked that up. That was really expensive <laughs> for the land, you know, for a threshing floor. But David was willing to pay an expensive price for his worship unto God, especially when he knew he had to make some things right with God. But he said, I will not offer an offering that costs me nothing. That's kind of a significant thing. 
the you know the most precious uh, worship that we have that we can give to God is when it costs us a lot. Sometimes it costs us everything, but we give that to God, and it's so pleasing to Him. Costly worship is precious to Him because we had to pay a price to to worship Him and to give Him praise and honor and thanksgiving. I was just thinking of this story uh, in the Old Testament and, and the contrast in this story. Remember Daniel's three friends and the story of the image of Nebuchadnezzar and they're commanded to bow down and worship that image. I, I was just thinking of the contrast between Daniel's three friends and, and everyone else, the people. And, you know, remember from that story that that image is, is erected and the king commands that when you hear the music play, then you bow down and you worship the image. And uh, that, that's also a picture of the last days because we know there's another image that's going to be erected in the last days that Revelation talks about. And this time it'll be the Antichrist and everyone will be commanded to bow down to that image on pain of death and, and so forth. And it involves worship and the music of this world, which is very significant. But I was thinking of the contrast with Daniel's three friends and everyone else in that situation. For everyone else, it was easy worship. It was an easy worship. There was no cost. The cost was if they didn't bow, right? <laughs> you know, so they were like, all I have to do is bow. Everyone just bowed down before the image because they wanted to live. That There was no cost in that. You know, Easy worship goes with the flow, does what everyone else is doing, just responds to the worship of this world and the ways of this world. That's part of the test of the last days, and it's only going to get more intense. There's going to be a great pressure that comes to bow down to the way of this world, to the worship of this world, the pressure of what the world is saying. For all the people, it was easy worship, no cost, uh, to bow down to the image while the music was playing. But the true worship had a cost, didn't it? That Daniel's three friends illustrated through their choice and their stand. It was costly worship to make that stand and say to Nebuchadnezzar, I will not bow down before this image. I'm going to do what's right in God's sight. And that was a commendable thing to do. But it's one thing to say those words and another thing to realize, well, once I say those words, there's only one thing, the furnace. But even in that, uh, I, I, love to, I love the phrase they say to the king, we're not afraid to answer you. We're not even second guessing ourselves. We're not even thinking about saying anything else to you, O king. We will not bow down and worship. We will not bow down to the spirit that is before us, the spirit of this age. We're going to worship God. But that, of course, that meant the furnace. And, I, you know, we can just relate this back to the, our main thought of, of we want to flow in the spirit. We want to flow in the river of God. But the ultimate expression of our worship is on the foundation of standing for the truth, standing in what God has said to us. And sometimes that means the furnace. Sometimes that means enduring a hot trial, a challenging experience 
persecution, people saying things or doing things or whatever, or just just a just a trial. We know if, if well, God, if I obey you in this, boy, that's going to be a challenging time. But yet there's that question. Are we willing to worship in truth? Are we willing to stand for the truth? Obedience to the truth. And so Daniel's three friends, they made that stand and they went into the furnace. But we know the end of the story is, is glorious because they didn't die. In fact, the furnace set them free. It burned off their bonds and they were walking around in the fire and the king was astonished. And he said to the people around him, I thought we threw, threw three people on the fire, but not, not only are they not dead, but they're free. And there's a fourth in there, you know, in Daniel 3.24. And, and it says, and, and the fourth is like the son of God. Sometimes worshiping in spirit and in truth is a choice and it's a challenging one because it means walking with God through difficult experiences and worshiping in it. Like Job, you know, he went through many phases of his trial, but the first phase, he lost everything. And it says he, he went and worshiped God and he bowed down and he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, he, that was a costly time of worship for him, but it pleased God. And in fact, you know, he praised Job. You know, in that next group, time and heaven, have you seen my servant Job? He worshiped me. You know, that was pleasing unto the Lord. But there's that costly worship, worshiping in the truth. I'll just close with this story. I think I've shared this before, but it, it's such an illustration of, of just, just worshiping the Lord and, and submitting to whatever he brings us through and, and giving him praise and having that outlook and that perspective in life to just praise God. And, uh, you know, some, some of you might know Pastor Mike Derrick, uh, and he, he was a missionary to Africa for many years, and now he's back in the States. But uh, when I was a Bible school student, or soon after I graduated, you know, his daughter came down, was diagnosed with cancer, and she had to go through some terrible chemo treatments, and it made her so sick, and it was really, really such a difficult time to see him go through that in the family and, and a difficult experience. And, and he said, one Sunday I came into church and it was just so, it was just so heavy upon him to see what his daughter had to go through. And it made his heart so sad. And they were, you know, then it was in the worship service and, and that started and, and God started to speak to him. And, and it was in the praise portion of the service. And the Lord spoke one word to him. The Lord said, dance. And of course, he's like, Lord, that's the last thing I feel like doing, dancing. How can I do that when my heart's so heavy? But God just kept emphasizing that again and again. And he came to the realization that, you know, it was a choice. He had to choose to respond to God. And so he started to just, okay, I'm going to lift my feet up. And he just started responding and obeying God. And he said the more he did that, the more he started to just feel the joy of the Lord come on and a release start to come upon him. And he said before long, he was just dancing with all his might and rejoicing in God. And it, and it did something in him. There was a freedom that was, you know, something was set free in him and he could rejoice and worship God even in the midst of this terrible trial. And he met with God in that. And it was something that stayed with him and he shared that many times. And it really impacted me to hear that. 
But it was in that situation of great heaviness and great sorrow that he chose to give that sacrifice of praise unto God. And God met him in that. And I have a feeling that in Pastor Derek's heavenly book, there, perhaps there's a special entry or, or maybe a highlight uh, to that where he worshiped God because it was costly worship. He worshiped in spirit and in truth. It was a step of obedience, but I have a feeling it was precious unto God. And that's what true worship really is. It's following the Lamb wherever He leads us, even when it, it, we have to pay a price for that worship. And so the calling upon us as believers is to be true worshipers as King David it exemplifies for us to be those who worship in spirit and in truth. And so let's ask God to help us. Lord, help us to flow with your spirit, to, to be worshipers who will sing and make melody in our hearts and rejoice in you and sing in the spirit and, and so forth, to flow with the song of heaven. The more we do that, the more we can connect with heaven because that connects our spirit with the spirit of God. And sometimes in that, we need to cry out, Lord, renew my spirit. Maybe there's a heaviness there and we could say, Lord, renew my spirit. Cause me to be steadfast and set in your ways. And then in truth, to be established in his truth. And, and you know, there's kind of an intermix in that with spirit and truth. You know, we want to be rooted in the truth and to have it written upon our hearts. And at times, God will, there'll be a cost involved. He, he's amazing how he can set that up. But as we say, Lord, okay, I worship you. Sometimes it's in the fire, but to him it's so well-pleasing because we have worshiped him in spirit and in truth, and it's precious to him. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the opportunity in this life to connect ourselves to heaven. And Lord, we pray that you would enable us to do that to an even greater way. Lord, make us those who would worship you, that we will be true worshipers of heaven. And Lord, we know that you've instructed us that, that the true worship of heaven is, Lord, comes from those who worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, do that work within us. Lord, make us those who would worship in your spirit and flow in your spirit. Lord, cause us to have a steadfast spirit to do your will. Lord, to, and to be those who would walk in your truth and that your truth would be written upon our hearts. Lord, help us even be willing to, to pay the price of costly worship. Lord, when it, when it costs us something and it's challenging, Lord, help us even to remember and realize how precious it is in your sight when we die to ourselves. Precious to the Lord in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. Oh, Lord, help us to, to die to ourselves and live for you and to worship you in that that our worship can please your heart and that we would be those who worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.